and welcome to the Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everybody. We have kind of a fun format today. We have two best friends on the show. Shelly Buck and Kathy Curtis are my guests, and together they recently penned the work Leave Your Light On, a memoir all about Shelly's trying experience in losing her son. Shelly Buck is the wife of the director of the movie Frozen, and she has lived through something that no mother could ever ever imagine, and that is losing her son. Her son Ryder was diagnosed with cancer at age 22, and then after overcoming that, he tragically died in a traffic accident. Her best friend didn't know how to help her, but she was a healing expert, and Kathy Curtis then helped Shelly to write her son's memoir, and that is Leave Your Light On. We talk about how to support people in grief. We talk about maintaining friendships, especially from afar, and It is just such a powerful testament of friendship and support, and I just love talking to these two incredible women. So let's get to my conversation with Shelly and Kathy. All right, I'm so honored to be chatting with Kathy and Shelly today. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. How are you guys? Wonderful. How about you? I'm doing really good. Where are you located, Shelly? I'm in LA, um, in the Pasadena area. Nice. And Kathy? I'm in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Awesome. Very good. And how do you guys know each other? Well, we met when we were 12 when my family moved into her neighborhood in the Chicago area. And we became instant best friends. And we've remained so all of our lives. That is so amazing. What do you think the secret is to maintaining long-distance relationships? Because some of my closest friends truly are my childhood best friends, and we don't live near each other. And that can be a real challenge in different seasons, but also my biggest blessing because they understand. When you understand where somebody has been and where they've arrived to in their life and they've been through all these different seasons, there's nothing like that kind of friendship, is it? So do you guys have any tips? Well, I, you know, I think the connection that you make with someone really drives that. Like for Shelly and I, when I moved away again um, at the end of high school, she went to California. I have moved around the Midwest. We have very different lives. But that connection always served for me as kind of my rock. And I think for Shelly as well. And it was never hard, but, you know, if we went months without talking, we would just pick right back up and I even after about probably oh several months we were in college and I picked up the phone to call Kathy thinking you know now is as good a time as any and she was actually on the other end of the line um <laughs> it didn't even ring so that's how connected we are in a in a kind of a surreal way and um you know at the heart and so that's really um kept us kept us connected. Yeah. Well, this episode today is really a conversation about friendship and about being there through different seasons. And so, Shelly, why don't you just start and give a little background on yourself and your family? Okay. Um, 
Well, as Kathy said, I moved out to California right after college and uh, to work at Disney. And that was the end of my rainbow. I couldn't have been more excited. And um, I met my husband there and we had some adventures, you know, we rode our bikes across the country, uh, bicycles, before we were engaged, and that sort of clinched the deal. Mm -hmm. So we got married and immediately started having children, and my first child, well, they were boys. Um, my first son uh, is Ryder, um, the one we wrote the book about, Kathy and I, and, you know, that that's been 31 years since he was born so uh and I have two other sons as well yeah I'm a mom of four sons so I love boy moms wow. yes good for you <laughs> so boy mom. yes yeah. exactly and Kathy how about you tell me about yourself and your family gosh after college I pursued a, the path of writing um, both at a corporate level and at a healing level it's just a real interest that I have in the things we're born with that give us a natural ability to find mm. healing so that it doesn't have to build up and become bigger than it is. And so I moved around the country um, quite a bit with my work, my corporate work, and I wrote my own book and I um, had programs wherever I lived and I finally did some uh, launched and got published some of my programs online. And so um, my family, I was, when I was married, I had a stepdaughter. I have many stories I could tell about that, but um, I think really, you know, that my intuition as a human being has always kind of put me in the ability to relate to parents because I've worked with a lot of parents that have lost children. And um, so I'm not an expert on the parenting part as much as I am supporting parents and helping them get through difficulties in their lives. So yeah, um, I love that. that turned out to be really good preparation for the moment in Shelley's life where tragedy struck. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. And Shelly, we should mention that your husband is, is someone the special at, at Disney. What did what was his claim to fame most recently? Well, he um, he you know he climbed through the ranks. He started as an animator, um, but he ended up directing uh, Tarzan and Frozen and Frozen Two. So yeah. most people, if they haven't seen Tarzan, they've seen the Frozens. Oh, you'll so, be in my heart? Um, Phil Collins? Yeah. Of course. We love Tarzan just as <laughs> much as Frozen. Go. There yeah. we go. Love that. I never want to skip that one because it's yes. one of my favorites. It's so tender. But uh, he co-directed on those things. Love that. Awesome. Well, Shelly, you had your fair share of trials as a mom, and you mentioned your first son, Ryder. Tell me about the challenges that that he faced and that you all faced as a family when he was diagnosed with cancer? Well, it was, it came as a complete surprise um, out of the blue. He had just gone in for a routine checkup and the doctor found some firmness um, in his testicles. So uh, they quickly did the tests and confirmed that it was cancer. So he went in within a week for a surgery. Um, and my youngest 
you know, revealed to me months later that he had been afraid Ryder was going to die on the operating table mm. and had lived with that, you know, in his heart, poor thing. Um, but Ryder's treatment went for nine months. He would be inpatient for uh, one week and then home for two weeks. And during that time, um, you know, I was with him every day in the hospital because I just couldn't be anywhere else. And uh, I had a lot of support with my mother and neighbors and coaches and so on. For my other two boys, my middle son, Woody, was away at college, but, um, but my youngest was still in high school. And uh, Ryder, you know, he took, he took the cancer treatments in stride in that, you know, he would be exhausted after a week of, of chemo. But within a couple of days, he bounced. He was out of the house. He was playing gigs. He's a musician. Um, he was camping and hiking and surfing and doing all these things that the doctor advised against and that made me very nervous. But um, he kept his spirit alive and fed with the music and the adventures. And um, he was cleared, actually, after nine months. So, uh, you know, declared a survivor and told to come back in six months and you're good to go, kid. And that must have felt like such a huge victory. Like you've arrived, right? Like you're waiting for that moment of completion of what you thought would be the hardest challenge, I'm sure. Yeah. Right? And then sadly, what what happened next? Well, he, Ryder lived another six months cancer-free, uh, went to Bali for a month and studied world music, um, did a lot of recording of his own music, and one uh, dark, foggy night, he was, his car broke down on the freeway, and he started walking home and was hit by two cars that were racing through the fog because that seemed like a good idea, um, and that was it. That was it. CHP showed up at my door the next morning and took us to the hospital where the doctor gave me the news. I am so, so sorry. So he was how old? He was 23. 23 years old. (sighs) Kathy, how did it feel? Were you a phone call away? Were you in Indiana at the time? I was. Yeah. I was. In fact, I was in my car driving when she called me and in Indiana back then you could talk on your phone (laughs) while you were driving yeah but she said you know are you home and I said no I'm in my car what's up she said well call me when you get home not good not good I I well I mean I felt it and I didn't I was just sort of in my own moment and not really thinking so I had no preparation for what she was calling to tell me and Oh, it took me a day before I could even feel it. You know, I was in such a state of shock. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how can you like you feel like you want to do everything for your your best friend, and yet I'm sure you felt There's, so limited at the same time. That's so oh, hard. Yeah, totally. Well, and what what happened at that time? She was surrounded by people, and they put together a celebration of life deal that that was just there were 1200 people there and and I felt like being there in that crowd wouldn't have been as good for her 
as me being there one-on-one with her when the holidays came, which were, mm. which were a month or two away. So I held back and I waited until that time. And then I went out there yeah. so we could really just, she could just sink into my arm and then we could just start, you know, yeah, being the process of, yeah, yeah, of, right. of moving forward, not moving on, but moving forward, right? right. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think what I've heard from so many women is when they go through a loss like this or a huge life change, you know, people show up immediately, right? And you feel surrounded and lifted and you kind of have that whirlwind, right, Shelly? And then the first holidays roll around and the first birthday and the anniversary and all those firsts and even the second, third, fourths, I'm sure, and people kind of go back to their normal lives and you never forget, right? So what did you learn, Shelly, as you processed? I mean, you went from processing scary cancer news and getting through that and thinking that was done and over with. But what's different about grieving something like that that's more of a day-to-day getting through versus an instant life is different on a dime? Well... The difference was I had, with the cancer, we had a battle to fight, and we did everything we could. We adjusted his diet. We juiced. We, you know, he wanted to be a vegetarian, which the doctor put the kibosh on. But, um, you know, we made all sorts of adjustments in our lives in order to accommodate and support. But when once he was had passed, it was just this big empty hole there was seemingly nothing to do um which was you know the ridiculous thing i told my husband who was in new york the day i got the news i doing publicity for frozen i said just stay finish your publicity there's nothing to do here he was like are you crazy which i was you know and he said i'll be on the next flight so um it turns out there was a lot to do. You know, there was not just the service to prepare for, which is a blur to me. I had so much help and so much wonderful support for that. Um, But then there were things like at the service, we announced that we had already set up a scholarship in his name at the high school for musicians. And then um, there was his music to produce, which he had recorded a lot of. Um, and there were things still left in his journal, but his band was there and ready to continue, um, touring and they did, they continued to play, um, gigs around the LA area. Um, and then they went into the studio and we recorded three CDs of writer's music. Um, we installed a bench on his favorite mountaintop which is where he used to go and meditate or sing or woo the girls and play his guitar, <laughs> you know. Um, and so we did many, many, many things to commemorate his life. And then uh, I got a message from Ryder that said, I want you to tell my story, Mom. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> he also wanted me to learn to play the guitar, which didn't happen. I mean, I gave it a good shot, but, you know, you got to have an ear, and I didn't have the tools. <laughs> but um, the story, telling his story, I had been keeping a journal from the time he was diagnosed all the way through um, and past his death. And um, 
I called Kathy and I said, I can't do this alone. I, I think I need a ghostwriter. I don't know where to start looking. What do I do? And Kathy said, hello, this is what I do. <laughs> it, was, it was a moment, an unforgettable moment. And I'll tell you why, because I'm thinking, well, surely she thought of me. I mean, I've written a book about grief. I am a writer. I'm her best friend. What more qualifications might a woman need? <laughs> but um, I thought if she thought of me and thought, no, that, that's not who I want to work with, I didn't want to put her on the spot by saying, what about me? But I did it anyway, and it turned out she hadn't thought of me because she was she's just so deep in the detail that she couldn't pull back enough and just see, like, you know, somebody was ready-made in every imaginable way to help her. And that felt really good to me to know that our friendship not only was so powerful right from the get-go, but that there was a larger purpose at work that we couldn't have known. Absolutely. And to be able to see that unfold. And like you said, Shelly, like there ended up being so much to do, but yet I'm sure like once the bench was in place, then it's kind of like, okay, well, what is the next thing? And, you know, you kind of check off these things, hoping to fill your time and fill the hole. But I mean, the hole's never really gone. But somehow right. I'm sure this memoir that you were about to write with your best friend, which is so special, that kind of is a different thing. Because A, it takes a long time to process and just like, processing through the stories and and everything had to be just incredible. Why did you call it, either one of you can answer this, Leave the Light On? Why, why that title? Well, the first songwriter ever wrote was called Leave Your Light On. And it really came to us that that was the theme of his life and, and the lesson he was trying to teach people through his music and just through his personal interactions. So Leave Your Light On became the title of the book from the very beginning. We knew that that was where we were going with the story mm -hmm. um, of his life and his light. And, um, and it just, you know, serendipitously was the first song he ever wrote. Yeah. Kathy, how did you organize this book? Like, what was the process of of gathering information on writer. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, you, you had lots of your own personal experiences with him growing up as well, but how, how did the book come to be? And, and, and what was that collaborative process like? Well, I mean, if I, if you would have asked me that going into it, I would not have been able to tell you because it was something I had never done to collaborate like that. But Shelly had already written, all the stories down in her journal. We had all the meat, you know, of the book. And the organizing part came through, instead of telling this linear account of what had happened from cancer to passing to grief to you know, all the discoveries that they made, we we configured the story so that it could become more of a narrative and that the narrative, the, the North Star of that narrative was the light that was so prevalent in Ryder and that his life, by being 
you know, he was a character and he, he was like beyond amazing in certain ways for his age. Like his, he, he knocked me out with the level of just intuition and compassion and wisdom. But he also cracked me up because he did really stupid things and, <laughs> and openly, you know, he, he was, he just didn't hide his light no matter what part of him it came from. And so that was our guiding light and that helped to provide the structure of the story that we wanted to tell, which is not, here's the grief and tragedy, but here's the light that's shown all through a life and it's still shining even after he passed. Right. That is so beautiful, Kathy. Shelley, I think when a mother loses a child, you know, no matter what age, but especially early on, sometimes you just feel like they got shortchanged. Like what? Mm. 22, 23 years? Like that's not enough, right? But here it sounds like he really packed a lot in to those years. And the way his light, like you're describing, is still able to shine after to me in in you know talking with various women who've experienced loss and now talking to you it always seems to make a little more i don't know if sense makes is the right word but you know he he had the time he needed to make the impact and it can continue like it doesn't end his story doesn't end his impact doesn't end how have you been able to to reconcile that that early loss for his life but then also feeling like He's ne- he's not done. He's never done. He's never he's never out of out of our minds and he's never done. Uh, it's true. Um, the fact that he is so present in my life and was such a part of the writing of this book um, and he continues to be present in my life, mm-hmm. which um, which really sustains me. I I need it desperately because to think of him as gone um, would destroy me. Uh, he wrote a song after he passed and sent it to us, um, through a friend who received messages like faxes in the night. And then she'd get up and type them out and send them to me the next day. And the last line of it was, um, all you have is all I had to give. So I, I, believe that he basically outgrew his body Mm. and had needed a broader reach than he could than he could find here on earth and so he continues to affect people's lives i mean i get messages from his friends all the time about how you know they didn't know what to do they were at a crossroads in their life brighter came through in a dream uh, or they would just kind of sit and meditate on what would Ryder do. And, you know, it was always um, some uplifting, it's all going to be cool, don't worry about it, you know what to do, um, follow your heart, things like that are the messages that came through. And um, so his, his presence is still prevalent in, in our lives, and we talk about him all the time at home. And, you know, his brothers have the memories of the of the antics and the rascal that Ryder was and the <laughs> pain in the neck that he could be. But um, 
you know, we have we have past and we have present uh, of writer. Yeah. And those pain in the neck moments, those serve as the best stories now, don't they? Like in the yes, moment you're just like, are. what are you doing, writer? What are you doing? You know, whoever. But, you know, those are the things you look back on and just chuckle. And you're just like, yeah. these kids, they're just making me gray, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Something I've also heard from a lot of women that have lost children is they struggle to, while they may have, you know, been previously very optimistic, and like you said, during your cancer journey, it's like, we got a lot to do, we got a lot to fight for, and you got to keep that hope and that optimism and that smile on your face to keep doing another day, another day, and then if it ends in a loss, regardless of how it ends, there's kind of a guilt that comes from moving on or feeling happy or experiencing life without that that beloved son right so how did you learn to to continue to approach life with that optimism with that hope and and not feel burdened by you know having to stay stuck in the past with Ryder but to allow you to just move forward with with that same hope well you know there was a long dark period um where i can say uh, I felt hopeless and helpless. Um, and when I was in my deepest, darkest place, the only thing that could snap me out of it for even a brief moment were my other two boys, you know, and the light in them had not, I mean, everybody's light was dimmed with the passing of Ryder, but they still had their own lights that were, you know, bright and striving and thriving and you know it rocked our world for a few years and um but by doing things you know to commemorate writer's life and to stay in touch with him i managed to smile again and i recognized it the first time i smiled because it was so foreign to me yeah. and there was a little bit of, can I really be feeling happy? Can, can this really be? Because, and they were fleeting moments because the grief was, you know, a backpack of rocks that I carried with me everywhere. You know, I didn't get out of bed without this sandbag on my shoulders. But um, there, there, you know, life affords us good moments too and uh i i accepted them when they came as opposed to pressing them down or pushing them away uh when there was a good moment i embraced it and that really pulled me through beautiful thank you for sharing that kathy as somebody who had written about grief before and then walking through this with shelly firsthand writing about it in a whole new way what would you say to anybody listening who is experiencing grief or has experienced grief or supporting somebody that is grieving right now? What, what have you learned about grief? All you can really do is show up, whether it's your own grief or whether you're walking the, the journey with a friend, um, allowing them to talk about their loved one however much and however many times they need to, which of course they need to. I mean, that doesn't really go away. Um, 
I know people struggle a lot with how do I help? And you can't take it away for someone. You can't do that. But to know that, like for me, the way I work with people is I walk that path and I'm, I'm willing to share that feeling. It doesn't rob me of anything to share whatever their emotions are. That's just the way that I'm built. But um, what I can tell you is that this, this writing program that I've created it gives people a chance to kind of say on paper things they might not normally talk about. Like I've seen a mother and a daughter come together and write through my program that they said things on paper they had never been able to share with one another that lifted a cloud. It's it just that communication is such an important part of it. And, you know, when, when Shelly was talking about the dark tunnel I I from the day I met Shelly she was a sparkling you know bit of magic <laughs> and so she had been that way her whole life into marriage into having children so I saw her not having any idea how to walk in a dark tunnel that yeah. was foreign to her completely mm. foreign to her and it was scary at times because I knew <clears throat> she wouldn't mind if she were with Ryder. I mean, there were mm -hmm. feelings like that that she was willing to share with me. Mm -hmm. But I will never forget the phone call that we were on when I heard her light come back fully on. And it was, it had been, it had been growing, mm -hmm. but there was a day, and I can't tell you when, but we were talking and it just flooded my body with the, the realization that her light was fully back on. She mm -hmm. was laughing about things. Like she was Ellie I had known my whole life. And that is just a huge, huge tribute to her courage and her willingness not to shirk away from everything that she had to face. Wow. And wouldn't Ryder want you to live? Like, would, would Ryder want you to live in that dark space forever? We're certainly given permission to grieve however we need and want to grieve for as long as it takes, right? But for somebody that we love that lived with this light, wouldn't it pain them to look down upon you and see you in that dark for longer than needs be? Yeah, absolutely. And I did get, you know, I got messages from Ryder all along the way. I'm supremely happy here, Mom. I want you to be happy, too. Wow. Um, we followed in his footsteps and went to Bali the year, a year later. And the messages we got to him or from him before and during that time were all, you know, it's okay if you cry, but I want you to be happy, too. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the people. This is my favorite place on Earth. You'll... Um, You'll find healing here. I mean, he was he was prolific in his communications, and I took it to heart. You know, I it, this is what I lived for was communication for my son. So I couldn't ignore it. I wouldn't ignore it. So I made every effort to, you know, do do as he prescribed. Yeah, good job. Good job. Yeah. That's hard to do. You know, it's like even when you know that's the 
the way forward it doesn't make it any easier it certainly does but i'm so glad you had each other to help process through this and certainly writing for healing in this case right. you know it's it's writing for healing but also writing for all of us to be able to know writer to experience his legacy and you know what made him special um but i think you can give people so much hope where can people find your new book Oh, our book is available. Um, there's a website, leaveyourlightonbook.com. You can also go straight to Amazon, and it's for sale there under Leave Your Light On. Yeah, that's, and uh, if you go to iTunes under Writer Buck, you can find his music. Ooh, that would be fun. Oh, I hope the listeners will check that out today. That's so special. Well, ladies, you're so incredible. I'm so glad you have each other and what a special testament to the enduring power of friendship after all these years. I always ask my guests one final question. We'll start with you, Kathy. As a stepmom, what would you tell your pre-motherhood self? I would tell her that I can be completely open and honest with this child and let her know what's going well and what isn't and be just as Really, I, I had a moment with her where I wanted to just completely scream, and I let her know, you know what, I don't even like you. <laughs> and that turned her life around. She had turned into this 13-year-old, you know, nightmare, and she, it just snapped her out of it. And I learned that we don't have to tippy-toe. We can just be really honest as long as we're coming from the heart. So, um that's what I would say. I love that. Shelly, what would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Oh, to step back, let these children be who they were born to be. They are all going to be different. They are all going to require different parenting, different input, and different space. And what they need more than anything is the space to be themselves and who they were given to us as so and not ours to form but ours to nurture like like you water a plant you know not a lot of pruning with this just just letting them be we've all tried the pruning route haven't we <laughs> yeah <laughs> like well that's not working yeah, I love that. Ladies, thank you so much for sharing your story. I hope everyone will pick up, leave your light on, and just all the best. And, you know, who knows what's next for you guys in your in your writing careers. Who knows? That's right. Thank you so <laughs> much. Right. Thank you, Jessica. Oh, those stories are so painful, and it can be really hard hearing about things that we often worry about with our kids, losing our children. And I hope, though, that you did not walk away with a feeling of sadness, but a feeling of hope that even if you have suffered the unimaginable or somebody that you know has lost somebody that they love dearly, there can be that day when the light turns back on. And for Shelly, that was absolutely true. And I'm so grateful for Shelly and Kathy for their demonstration of friendship and their support of one another through that difficult, difficult time. And I hope all of you out there have a friend that you can go to that would see you through like that. And I think the most important thing that we can ever do to somebody who is suffering or grieving 
is just show up. Just show up because that is the most important thing is to let someone know that they are seen, they are known, they are loved, they are remembered. So pick up the book and that will be linked over at extraordinarymomspodcast.com if that sounds of interest to you. If you don't already feel follow me on Instagram, you can do that at jessicadalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.